Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the after party. This has been an interesting week. This week, uh, I got some good videos published. One was on the HomePod Mini, and it was about making it extra useful. And one published today, actually, well, I'm recording this Thursday, I forget. You guys are gonna hear this on Friday. So yesterday for you, it was on some really awesome, three amazing productivity apps, plus an extra widget that everybody's talking about. Uh, for the iPhone, it, it was kind of like, I wanted to do a what's on my iPhone video, but I didn't want to do a what's on my iPhone video. I feel like most what's on my iPhone videos are just so formulaic, and I try to do it a little bit different. Instead of going through every little detail uh, which I think I've done in the past, you know, like the settings and how I set it up and the apps and the widgets and everything. This time I just want to focus on like a few high quality, high impact apps that I actually use that I have found worth it or cool, cool enough to keep around. And you know, I go through a lot of apps because I discover apps as part of my job here for you guys. And, um, you know, a lot of those apps, to be honest, they disappear off my phone or my iPad or my Mac. Uh, even if they're cool, they're not necessarily all stuff that I will use or need personally, but they're stuff that is worth featuring. Let's just say that. But these apps that I featured in this video were so great. I'm not gonna give away what they were, but one of them, I would say it's like one of my top two favorite apps of all time. But really, I was excited to get that video out. <laughs> I'm kind of... Uh, I'm kind of flabbergasted because it's only ranking number nine out of the last 10 videos, which is bizarre. It's got a good click-through rate, but people aren't watching it quite as long, probably because, and this is the thing, you guys don't see this uh, from from you know the non-YouTuber point of view. Um, when, when you watch a video, you like the YouTuber to put chapters in, right? to mark you know where a different topic or subject in each video starts. That's really useful uh, you know, as a viewer. As a YouTuber though, I feel like when I put those in, people pinpoint what they think they're interested in, they watch that little segment, and then they bounce out of the video, which is really bad for the video overall in terms of the YouTube algorithm, because how it sees it is, oh, there's not enough in this video to keep recommending it. People aren't watching it as long. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. I do like to include it though, because I know as a viewer, I would like to see it. And I think maybe that's what's going on with this video. People maybe aren't interested in all of the apps, uh, you know, equally, which is understandable, but still um, just kind of a bummer because you put so much work into it. We'll see though. Sometimes I publish something and it looks like it's not gonna do great right off the bat. And then later it ends up doing amazing. Um, and it just took a while because maybe it was a, a video that's gonna do good in the search results and that has nothing to do with how my initial batch of subscribers sees it. Or maybe there's just some external event, like uh, somebody starts linking to it or something. You know, there's all these things. Um, or, or it just becomes more, you know, a more timely topic, you know, further down the road, whatever. I'm really not worried about it. The channel is at a place right now where, um, you know, I publish stuff that I'm interested in and hopefully the audience is interested in as well. I know everything's not gonna be a hit, but the stuff that pops really subsidizes everything else on the channel. And so, you know, I have nothing to complain about, whether something does really great or not. Real quick, let me just briefly mention, um, in the latest iPhone apps video that I did, there was a, a widget that I covered. 
And I just mentioned it for like 10 seconds and people are going crazy. Like, what is that widget? I need to know about it. Uh, tell me what it is. Why didn't you link it? Well, the app slash widget is called Life Just One. And I, I guess I didn't mention that just one part in the actual video, but it lets you see how many years you have left before you turn 90. And it's kind of like the ultimate productivity hack because it shows you, it illustrates it in a really nice, creative, infographic-y, interactive way, um, how many years you have left. Some people might find it morbid. <laughs> I find it motivating, because like, wow, uh, it's time to get to work to accomplish some stuff before it's too late. So it's called Life Just One. If you search for that, Life Just One app, uh, you will find it. There is a website, super bare bones, because um, it's a very bare bones app, uh, but yeah you'll find it on the App Store. Interestingly though, the HomePod video, I will tell you this, I thought about how to package that video for you guys and for the internet in general. What I mean by that is I thought really hard about how I was going to do the thumbnail and the title and even the, the arrangement of the content within the video, what order it would be presented in to retain people the longest. Uh, be relevant and useful and, and hold your attention. But also, I really paid attention to the framing of of the the video right off the bat. What I mean is, um, you, you'll notice if you go watch that video, if you start over, I say something like, you know, I bet that you're looking for a video that's not just comparing the HomePod mini to the Amazon speaker or the Google speaker. And, you know, basically set it up to be like, well, look, you're gonna get something different out of this video. And and I really think I delivered on that. It wasn't a typical HomePod video. And that worked out really good because, you know, it's funny because the first contact I ever had with Apple from a company perspective was a HomePod video that I made for the original HomePod. And I think it was the video that said, uh, everybody's wrong about the HomePod. And it, it wasn't like a super viewed video. I You know, it had some cool shots in it or whatever, but some people at the Apple PR team found it, saw it, got in touch, made my day, and that was cool. But uh, so it was a it was an important video in terms of like a personal milestone. But a lot of homebound content it doesn't uh, perform super well on the channel. It's just one of those things like it's not as popular as an iPad or an iPhone or a Mac, even AirPods. You know, <laughs> it's one of the least popular Apple devices, probably the original one, just because of the price, probably. It priced a lot of people out. They weren't willing to spend, you know, the 400 and then the $300 that it cost, even with the price drop. But the Mini was different because it was only $99. I think more people were interested. But, um, you know, aside from that, I knew that I needed to spice up the angle a little bit <laughs> to get people to watch. And I didn't want to put a bunch of time and effort into that and just have it crash and burn. So I, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with how it's performing right now. It's doing pretty well. And I think that happens when you provide people with value and you have to communicate that value. It's, it's actually really hard to get people when you're at my stage, right? I'm not talking about MKBHD and Lou and Austin and all the team crispy, right? I'm not talking about that level of creator who just, if you publish something, it will be watched a lot. You know, for, for me, I really have to work hard at convincing enough of those initial subscribers that might view it, that YouTube might show a video to, to click, to be interested, to watch. And it's all about delivering that value. So you have to promise the value in the title, in the thumbnail without uh, doing clickbait, you know, titles that, promise something completely different 
and then don't deliver on it. And so for me, uh, you know, I try to c communicate, this is gonna be a really high quality video with the thumbnail in terms of just showing you a really good picture, an amazing picture, a picture that you're not gonna see anywhere else, and hopefully with the colors um, and, and you know, just the, the feel of it, you can kind of get a, an idea that, oh yeah, that's daily tech. I don't put my face in the, in the thumbnails very often these days, or at least right now. And then with the title, you guys have seen me reuse a lot of different titles because there's some things that work well with my style of video. Um, sometimes it's making something actually useful. Sometimes it's unbelievably useful, but it usually centers around usefulness because a, a lot of the value from the channel, I think, is not entertainment related necessarily. I, you guys have heard me say this before, but hopefully discovery, finding new things. In a way, it's education, I guess, if you had to break it down teaching people about stuff they didn't know. But uh, yeah, so it, it was a good week in terms of the content. I'm proud of the stuff that we put out. And I will say <laughs> the shots around the the house, they're not really house shots. Uh, we rented a furnished place to shoot that. One little topic that I thought that I would talk about uh, for a little bit here in the podcast, just in the audio version here, uh, a little exclusive for you guys, is whether or not I have any regrets in terms of starting the YouTube channel. And as I was thinking about that, the one thing that I always say when that topic comes up is that I just regret not starting sooner. You guys know I started this as a blog on the side back in 2012, and it did really well as a blog in 2012. And that's when a lot of other YouTube people that you know uh, started back in 2012 or around there, 2011, 20, 2013. Uh, but they started on YouTube, a lot of the really huge channels now. And I kind of regret not going the YouTube route first and doing the blog thing first. But I don't I don't really regret it though because I, I have nothing to complain about. I, I love uh, the work that I get to do, um, the community and, you know, my wife, it's like a joke to her, like, because I like doing this so much. She's like, oh, you get to <laughs> do something that you love every day. But that, who wouldn't want that? Like, that's the way to do it, right? So nothing to complain about. But I, I do think um, generally, when it comes to like advice, like start pursuing your dream, the thing that you wanna do sooner than later. Because uh, I think I lost a lot of ground by waiting till 2015, you know, just three years, but I lost a lot of ground. Um, in terms of uh, like getting good, learning camera stuff, getting better at production, you know, so in, in that department, you know, starting three years later really set me back. But, uh, you know, also just building an audience there on YouTube that, you know, three years is a lot of time in YouTube land to, you know, to go from zero to wherever you are after three years, there's such a big gap. And, you know, I did have some momentum from the blog to carry me over, but uh, it just, it wasn't the same. I, I think it would have been better if I had just started on YouTube in 2012 than to have whatever momentum I, I had from the blog transferring over um, to the YouTube channel. So I think another regret though, and it's not, I don't know if this really counts as a regret, but, it, but it's a thing though, is comparing myself, and this is something just you do as a human, to other creators. There are other channels that are so much bigger than mine and my channel will never outgrow those channels because it's just uh, it's going to be impossible. In the same way that Mr. Beast, you know, hasn't, Mr. Beast, he's going crazy in terms of subscribers, but he hasn't even caught up to PewDiePie yet, right? And maybe he will, and maybe he won't, but but that's not the story for most people. There's just a timeline. You start at some point and it's a, it's a slow, 
uh, grind, you know, for five, 10 years uh, to get to the point where people, all of a sudden something pops and people are like, oh, overnight success. Well, no, you've been at it for a long time. It's just that something finally clicked and you were, you know, everything fell in line and whatever, you took off. But that taking off process, it really is a long process. So I understand, you know, uh, <laughs> sure. I, you know, one of my goals is to, to reach a million subscribers at some point. And I don't know what to do after that. I would love to hire some people, something we've been seriously talking about, been telling you guys about that. Um, get a commercial space. Of course, COVID hit and it's all weird now. Um, and you can do it virtually and whatever. And, you know, legitimately probably sometime here in the next year or so that's going to happen. But if uh, I can feel like I can peel myself away from the computer and let somebody else do some editing and stuff, because I feel like who's going to do it as good as Chris. But what I'm really saying is that age old thing, like comparison is the thief of joy. And there were so many times when I've compared myself to X amount of channels and be like, oh man, they have obviously more money to procure equipment or to get cool things to talk about or to have experiences that are worth showcasing and telling. And, um, when really I, it didn't matter, I, none of that mattered. And, you know, these days I'm way better in terms of my mental state with not caring and, and just letting people enjoy, like the people that, that did start their channel whenever and have grown it and had massive, massive success. I'm, I'm really happy for them, like super happy. And it's not that I wasn't happy before. I wasn't happy for me. I've always been happy for them. But before I'd let myself compare and be like, oh man, well, I don't have that. And I'll never be like that. And I think that happens for everybody, no matter where you are. Somebody's always got a bigger yacht. You know, that's what they say. Because I know that there are people out there um, who look up to daily tech. Uh, and maybe you're one of them. And you're like, oh, wow. You know, every time he publishes, you know, he's getting 20, 80, you know, 700,000 views with some of his videos, you know, and that looks amazing to somebody. And then you have somebody like me who's like, oh, wow, well, you look at um, several creators with 800,000 subscribers and look what they do. And the people with 800,000 subscribers, they look at somebody with 10 million and the 10 million people look at somebody with 20 million or people in other mediums who are just more famous for whatever reason. So it never ends. But, you know, just for transparency's sake, yeah, I mean, that was something that probably I, I regret letting it get to me at all because no, it turns out daily tag's really cool and I'm really happy with where it is and where it's going. Uh, what would uh, daily tech content be without an Andy Minio mention? There's a song where he mentions something about if you see somebody else getting theirs, don't get mad, get busy. And I think that's great advice. You know, that's there's so much hard work that goes into stuff and people don't want to put in the hard work to get the cool stuff, you know, so that's why doing hard things really, like I say, I've said it before on the podcast equates to success because nobody wants to do those hard things. So the few people that do them stick it out, the hard things being like, like working in obscurity, starting a channel like this when nobody's watching for a year, two years, three years, <laughs> and getting a little bit of progress, stacking that progress on a little bit more progress. That's what you got to do. So if you're listening, get busy. I want to talk a little bit about a new toy that I bought, although it's a work toy. <laughs> it's the Insta360 One X2. It's a 360 cam, meaning that it can see in all directions. It's got two lenses, one on each side, 
and it captures everything, up, down, side to side, whatever. I had the original Insta360, the One X, this is the One X2, and I really liked it, I hardly ever used it. And then this new one came out, and it wasn't all that different, except it had better battery life, uh, you're gonna be able to hook in an external mic. It's got a screen on the front so you can actually see what you're recording without having to use a phone. But the resolution isn't better. But I wanted it because it's such a fun camera to use and I've actually found it to be very useful. Now, I actually included a few shots from this camera in one of the main channel uploads uh, for an iPhone apps video that I recently created. And normally I wouldn't because I'm shooting on a Sony a7S III, my main camera. I've got several a6600s laying around for multi-cam stuff. And the resolution on this, it just doesn't match those higher end cameras. Even my iPhone, you know, the 12 Pro Max here, with this bigger sensor, it shoots amazing video. But you know, all these things have their own uses and times when they make sense to use. But one thing I've been starting to do is say, you know what, what really matters in my content and when I'm telling a story is like just capturing the shot. It doesn't really have to be in the best 4K or 8K, you know, uh, resolution. Just being able to capture an experience and showcase that in an interesting way, that's really what matters. So I'm actually committing to using this fun little camera a lot more over this coming year. Some things that I like about it include that it's not very conspicuous. A lot of people see this and they don't really know what it is. They don't really understand that you're filming. Whereas if I take a big camera rig out on the street and I'm trying to film myself and you gotta set up a tripod and everything, it's a little bit cumbersome. It definitely draws them attention. This thing, I can just hold it in my hand and take it into a store and it's just going, or often what I'll do is mount it onto uh, I use, I have a little adapter that fits in the bottom and it fits onto my backpack. And this is what I did at WWDC, uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference last year. Um, I took it, I mounted it on my backpack strap, just had a recording and I walked around the Apple campus and filmed that tour video that you can go see is featured on uh, the Daily Tech YouTube channel right now. Like a bunch of those shots were from the original One X. Because the main benefit with this thing is that you can just shoot everything and then frame it up later. Now some people buy it and they just wanna do like an actual VR experience and let people put on some goggles and be able to look around in whatever room or something or they get it for Google Street View. No, I'm actually gonna use it as a creator, YouTube creator, uh, as someone who creates videos professionally. <laughs> Um, just as a regular camera. So I'm gonna export it, even though it's 360, I'm gonna crop it into the view that I want. It's really easy to do with the app. I like the app. It takes a little getting used to. Um, sometimes we fight, the app and I. Uh, but reframe it uh, in a regular 16 by nine view, whether it's wide or ultra wide. And there's, there's just angles that are easier to capture with this, even though it's not 4K, right? It Technically, I should say, it shoots in 5K, but by the time you export it, it's nowhere near 5K. And the footage does not look, uh, you know, amazing. It, you know, there's a little grain to it. It's not super crispy, but it's good enough. And the, and the footage, it's fun footage. It's fun to see the kinds of shots you can get here. And so I don't use it for everything and I wouldn't use it for everything, but here's where I'm gonna use it, okay? A lot of the stuff that you see on the channel is shot in the studio in this specific room that I'm recording this in. And that's great. This is really made for experiencing stuff 
at desk, whether it's unboxings or just talking or whatever. This room is set up for that kind of a thing. But when I get out of this room, especially when the weather warms up and I go out and need to demo something uh, outside, then this is gonna be my main go-to thing I've decided. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the resolution is gonna be. The, the amazing resolution will happen uh, in this room with these cameras and this will be kind of supplemental. It's not gonna be my main go-to thing, um, but it is gonna be a real used tool in the daily tech arsenal for shooting stuff because it's just that useful just that convenient. Now this thing's not cheap. Um, standalone is 430 bucks. You know, so that's a lot cheaper than the A7S III, right? Uh, but still, that's a good bit of money. And then you have some different accessories that you can get too. Oh, and I should point out, you can actually control it with your Apple Watch now this year, which is awesome. And you can also uh, get audio out of your AirPods, which is also awesome. They really, the team has thought of some really cool stuff here. Um, so for me, as somebody who likes Apple products, who talks about Apple products, right, <laughs> for my job, um, that could not be more convenient. Because really, if you think about it, I think one of the reasons why people don't use this more uh, for like video video for YouTube stuff, um, what I mean is like for talking shots. The, the internal mics, I know they're better than last year, but you can't use them really for talking. They're just not good enough for that. Uh, but there's an external adapter, which I'm about to order here because it finally went up for sale. This is also new this year uh, that will let you plug in a three and a half millimeter uh, jack. And that's going to be necessary if you're going to get any serious audio. But the forward thinkingness of the team to let you record audio with your AirPods, it, which still isn't probably going to be amazing audio, but it's going to be a lot better than the internal mics here. Because to get cool shots with this, it really does need to be a several feet away from you, right? Two, three, five, 10 feet, right? Depending on what accessory or pole or tripod you get. Uh, it's very cool that you can do multi-cam stuff so you can record with the front and the back, have both playing at the same time. It's great if you're gonna do vloggy kind of stuff. But I did grab the Insta360 ONE X2 cold shoe which is gonna let me mount either a, a, you know, a light or a mic or some kind of accessory. That was only 20 bucks. It was just kind of like, why not? I didn't get the bullet time cord because I don't care at all about those bullet time shots where you fling it around in the air and it captures all around you. One thing I did also grab was the utility frame because that will let you mount this um, to all kinds of different mounts and use some accessories. That's very cool. And I do have the invisible selfie stick. That's like a must for this, if you're gonna be filming yourself, which is basically what I'm doing. And when it becomes available, I'm gonna grab that uh, battery hub with the fast charging and an extra battery. But the last thing I got was the X2 mic adapter, which is gonna come in really handy. Oh, I shouldn't say that's the last thing. I also got the sticky lens guards. <laughs> And uh, you know, if you've been wondering, if you're watching this uh, on the Clips channel, you, you found this video later. If you've been wondering if those uh, sticky lens guards affect how it stitches the two cameras, um, I think it has been a little bit weird, but it's very usable if, as long as you're not looking straight down. So would I recommend it? Um, I think it's something that if you're doing YouTube videos, kind of like me, it's a good tool to have in the arsenal, not as a main camera, but as something that you can set up. You, you need a place with a lot of light to use it, to be honest. So outside works really good. If you're inside, it better be well lit because you may run into some grain. If it has grain, I'm not gonna use it. So I could use it in a well lit room like this where I got lights all over. But you know, if you have a place to use it, particularly outside, then it's just an amazing tool. It's like having a camera person to film you, even if you're by yourself. So, so yeah, I would recommend it.
definitely for any YouTuber out there. And honestly, even for people who aren't into YouTube stuff, like it's just a fun camera to have to capture family events. Um, the tracking is just great. Draw a little box around a face or an object. It'll track it in all 360 degrees for you. Um, it has a bunch of just built-in editing tools that could be kind of fun if you're not into pro video stuff, but you just want something to kind of work through it with AI for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing. And I'm glad that I got it and I, I'm planning on using it a lot more this year. Let's talk about the Apple Watch SE versus the Apple Watch Series 3. Both are on sale. And yes, you're watching the right video or listening to the right podcast right now. It is 2020, the end of 2020. Uh, and yes, the Series 6 is out. I have one right here. I've had every Apple Watch that's ever come out. So I'm well qualified to be talking about this right now. But let's talk about this because the holidays are coming up and a lot of people don't need the latest, greatest Apple Watch and all those cutting edge features, a lot of the health features, and they're looking for um, just, you know, budget entry level, you know, Apple Watch to get into the ecosystem, to start benefiting from the many benefits. And that means they're looking at either the Apple Watch SE or the Apple Watch Series 3. Now the Apple Watch SE sits in between the Series 3, which is kind of the bottom of the barrel right now, and the latest, greatest Series 6. So look, one of the main differences between the Series 3 and the new Apple Watch SE is the design. If you look at the design, you can just see it right here. It's boxier and has a smaller screen and bigger bezels on the Series 3 than what you get on the SE. It's not a huge deal, you know, but uh, I definitely noticed it when I made the jump from that Series 3 to the next model. Series 3, it, it still looks nice, it's good, um, but it does look outdated. One thing that both the SE and the Series 3 are missing out on is an always-on display. You have to have an Apple Watch Series 5 or 6 to take advantage of that low power mode. And, you know, I'll just say, I've liked it, it's come in handy, it's not that big of an upgrade that you should think that you're missing out or be worried about missing out if you only go with the SE or the 3. So both the SE and the 3 have the same 1000 uh, nits of brightness OLED screen. But something that is massively important is the performance. I'm talking about the speed. So there's a different chip powering each of these and the Series 3 is like 50% slower in real world usage when you load apps or perform actions than the Apple Watch SE. One runs on the S3 chip, one runs on the S5. So personally, if I'm using an older Apple Watch and then I switch over and use a newer Apple Watch, I can notice a big difference, okay? So I'm just telling you, and that's the thing, if you're not seeing them side by side, it may not be a big deal, but is there a difference in performance? Yeah, definitely. Does it really matter all that much? Well, um, you know, it's still the core Apple Watch experience to have the Series 3, right? You can still interact with Siri, for instance, but when you interact with Siri, which I do all the time, I'm always creating reminders, right? I live off the reminders I create with my Apple Watch. Well, Siri reminders are gonna go a lot slower, you know, 50% slower to do everything. Something else you have to realize about the difference in processors is you may not get new features that other Apple Watches that have the newer processors are gonna get if you go with the Series 3 because it's kind of topped out for what it's gonna be able to do, right? So it is cheaper now, but you may pay the price of not getting all the latest, greatest new bells and whistles that the other ones are going to eventually get with software updates because the Series 3 just can't handle it. Whereas that new SE with its S5 chip 
we'll certainly be able to get some future updates and cool new features. Battery life, uh, I think, is really about the same. You're supposed to get, right out of the box when they're brand new, about 18 hours of battery life for each. Uh, in my experience, that's been plenty. You gotta charge once a day, basically, if you're gonna use it consistently. And that's been fine for me. I've experimented with doing some sleep tracking and uh, charging you know, a little bit right before bed so I can get through the night and then charging, you know, while I'm getting ready or something in the morning and then wearing it for the rest of the day for the big chunk of the day. You can do it. 18 hours of battery life is plenty. It's fine. I, it's not something I've ever complained about really. Now, before you hit the buy button, right? <laughs> and I'll link these up down below for you to do some research and make it easy for you. But before you hit that buy button, you should know you're not going to get the latest and greatest health features uh, that you get like on the series five or series six on either the SE or the Series 3. So no ECG, electrocardiogram, no blood oxygen monitoring. Maybe you don't care. I really don't dip into either of those features all that often. There's some things that kind of happen in the background that it's nice. Sometimes for the health features on an Apple Watch, I kind of view it as like an insurance policy, right? I don't ha actively have to be in there monitoring these things, but every now and then it's taking a reading. And if there is something weird, um, then it will alert me and let me know. Now that's not for every health feature. It's only for some of the health features. And it's very rare that I go in and take some kind of a measurement on purpose. Um, so I think for the vast majority of people, that's fine. You don't really need those. Well, here's something. If you want the little red ring on your digital crown that signifies that you have a Wi-Fi and cellular Apple Watch, can't get it with the Series 3. They used to sell uh, a, a GPS and cellular Series 3, but they don't anymore. So that's one of the differentiators. If you want that cellular connectivity now, uh, you're going to have to move up and buy at least the Apple Watch SE. A lot of people aren't gonna care. It could be nice if you're gonna go for a jog, you wanna leave the phone at home, but still you know, bring your AirPods, stay connected, um, take a phone call or something without your phone, you can do it. It is nice, um, it's not a must have. You know, 10 bucks extra a month for that is a lot for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, it's not a necessity. One thing that is impacted though, by whether or not you have a cellular with your Apple Watch is that new family uh, connectivity and family sharing. So if you wanna set one of these up for an elderly grandparent or for a kid, then they don't have their own iPhone and you gotta set it up on your iPhone, well, you, then you gotta look at the options. Basically, if you plan on doing that, you wanna go with the SE. The last thing to talk about with this is just the pricing. You can get an Apple Watch starting at 199 for the smaller size with the Series 3. On the other hand, you can grab an SE which I think would be my preferred way to go, starting at 279 for the smaller version. And either way, you end up getting an Apple Watch for under 300 bucks. Because if you buy a brand new Series 6, you're looking at starting at 399 for the smaller size. Don't you hate how they do that? <laughs> it's like you think it starts at 399, but if you're like me and you want the bigger version, oh wait, no, that's actually quite a bit extra for the larger size. But either way, um, if, if you wanted my recommendation, if you could afford it, I would say go ahead and get the SE just because of the future proofing aspect, you know, being able to get some updates for several years into the future instead of just basically buying a rock that's cool for a little bit, but isn't really going to age as well. All right. If you're an Apple Music subscriber like myself, a Spotify refugee, you might have been seeing everybody on social media posting their Spotify wrapped playlist, right? Highlighting the best songs that they've listened to the most throughout the last year. And you might be like, well, 
how do I get that for Apple Music? Well, Apple Music does something very similar and they've done it for the last couple of years too. It's called the Replay, Apple Music Replay. And you can access your Apple Music Replay right now by going to your Apple Music. And I'm doing this on a Mac. So if you're watching this clip from the podcast, um, that's what you're seeing. Go to Listen Now and then scroll all the way to the bottom and then you'll be able to see Replay your top songs by year. And actually I'm able to see all the way back to 2015. So I'm gonna click on um, Show Me This Playlist and let's see what I listened to the most, all right? The top song that I listened to was Ready or Not by Holvey. Uh, next in line was Live Twice by Jordan May. The third was another Holvey <laughs> hit called Higher. And another, <laughs> I was really into Holvey this year, okay? Um, four was Anchor by Holvey, and then Live Forever uh, featuring 1K Few, Aaron Cole, Holvey, a bunch of people. Basically, Holvey was all over my top five, right? All right, so that's cool, right? Just see the history, what you listen to, rediscover some favorites from the year. But what you can do is you can hit the little dots there, the three dots, and do share, and then you can get a link and actually share this playlist uh, with people on social media. So there you go, yeah, you don't have to feel left out from sharing uh, your most played music of the year. If you're curious though, how this actually works, I'm reading right here, it says, uh, Apple Music Replay uses your Apple Music listening history to calculate your top songs, your albums, your artists throughout the year. It also uses a variety of other factors to determine the music that you've played this year, such as music played on any device that's assigned in to Apple Music, with your Apple ID, not including music played on devices that have used listening history turned off in settings. That's interesting because I do have that turned off on the main HomePod in the house so that my music recommendations aren't getting, uh, tainted is the wrong word, uh, influenced by other people. It says counting only music that's available in the Apple Music catalog. So if you played something using Apple Music from outside the catalog, you know, like you downloaded a song or something, then I guess that's not gonna count. So the only downside really is that you don't get some cool social media graphic to share, to make it really easy um, for people to see what you're doing. You can only share it just like a normal uh, playlist, any Apple playlist, right? Now, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you're gonna see uh, how many songs and how much time that playlist takes up. So. This is the top 100 songs that I listened to, as you can see, which total five hours and 31 minutes. All right, that's gonna do it for this podcast. Uh, I think it was a good one. We talked about a lot of different things. Thanks for hanging out. Do appreciate everybody. Um, keep an eye out for fun new things coming in the next week. Hope you guys have a good week and I'll catch you in the next video, podcast, tweet, or Instagram post. Later. <laughs>